So let's continue today in our series on the supernatural. We're walking through now the book of Acts and we're asking ourselves how the Spirit of God helped the early church live in to the life of Jesus, the supernatural life of Jesus, um, even amidst their troubles. Um, and last week we said in the midst of uh, the trouble of the fear of the unknown, the Spirit of God uh, gave them the gift the gift of confidence that he was at work. Eyes to see, eyes to see, vision from heaven to see that God is at work. And friends, I believe that is true today. God is at work. I don't have a lot of words to say. I've struggled all week to put something together. Um, It's interesting that we find ourselves in Acts 2. I believe God's word has much to say to us today if we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable, if we allow ourselves uh, to be open to the refining fire of the Spirit. Here's the deal. Each one of us this, this day has an experience. Today we all have an experience. We have history in our life, experience that we bring. We aren't just objective, neutral, you know, minds walking around. No, we're embodied people. We have carried with us experiences and bruises and pains and joys and mindsets and ideals from the experience of our life. Most of them are embedded, right? They, they beneath, they're beneath the surface. They go largely unnoticed. They make up who we are, whether we like it or not. The question for us uh, is, are we able to step back and think about our thinking? Are we able to take a step back and, and, and look at the way that we think? What has the experiences of life given us? When we feel discomfort in our bodies, angry, confused, afraid, do we acknowledge these emotions? It's okay to feel them. First step is to acknowledge them. Man, if you're like me, you want to push them aside and just keep moving. No, we need to acknowledge them. And then we need to disclose them. We need to disclose them to to ourselves, to to others, and to God. To name them. I feel afraid. I feel angry. I feel lonely. I feel uncertain. Whatever it is, name them. And as we begin to name them, do we have the ability to process them and to submit them to the story of redemption? You see, if I can't feel, if I can't name, I can't really process. And if we want to be a people of processing our lives together, we have to feel and name what's happening underneath the surface. We have to get in touch with what's going on under our soul. Otherwise, we're just kind of throwing mulch on top. I mulched my garden this week, and, you know, it makes it look nice. But if I don't get rid of the weeds and prepare the soil under the surface, you know, it's only going to look nice for so much longer, right? And even so, I still have to tend to the soil, prune Weed, right? So we can put some stuff on top if we want. It makes it feel a little better. But friends, I want us to go a little deeper. I don't want to just repeat what's been given to me. If that's all we do, we're never going to be able to enter the world of someone else. 
See, our ability to feel, name, and process what's going on inside of us is the key to our ability to enter the world of another. You see, I have to understand what's informing my thinking and feeling so I know what's going to color uh, the way I look at yours. You understand? Like, does that make sense? If I don't have that self-awareness, if I don't have the ability to look beneath the surface of my life, I certainly cannot understand what's going on beneath the surface of yours. I need to understand so that I can begin to see you more clearly too. I need to understand what's coloring the way I look at you. So that's where I wanted to begin today because for many of us, we will hear something, we will read something, and we'll immediately filter it through our experience, our mindset, our lens. We'll judge it based on the criteria that we have established. This is why dialogue has become almost non-existent today. It's why we seem to have polar opposite viewpoints on the majority of collective life in our, in our society. I see, I hear something, and I simply view it through my lens, pass judgment on it accordingly, and move along. At that point, dialogue has ended. Dialogue has ended. All I do is state my opinion, you state yours, we nod, we say amen, but largely things have gone unchanged. And we've been, un, we've, been, we've, unaffect, we've been unaffected by each other. We haven't shared an emotional experience. See, this is the trouble the first followers of Jesus faced. Will they be able to step outside of their experience, of their, of their mindsets? Will they be able to step outside the preservation of themselves and their group and be moved by another? See, every group has an us and a them, right? We're from Philly, and we're Eagles fans. That's us. They're from Dallas, and they're Cowboys fans. That's them. You get it? I mean, I'm trivializing it a bit, but, but you see what I'm talking about? This, the us is the people that get me, that understand my experience, because we've shared some experience of some kind. It could be regional like that. It could be heritage, cultural, race, and so on. And what is a sign of that? What is a significant sign of that? Think about this for a moment. What symbolizes us more than anything else? Language. Language. Language is not just about words and phrases. Language envelops in the context of culture. You see, language and culture are intricately tied together. See, language is deeply tied to the cultures of us. In some European countries, the phrase, a good day, is often referred to as a sunny day. It's a good day. In some African cultures, it implies a rainy day. You see, the same phrase, totally different meaning in two different cultures. How do I know you get my culture? You speak my language. Even regions in the United States have different dialects. We, we all speak English, but we have different languages. If I hang around with my, my friend Ed he's, he, and Jamie, you know, I say y'all a lot more. <laughs> when we lived in Kansas City, I became deeply aware of, of, of how I said water, 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 water ice. <laughs> See, language is deeply tied to culture. 
the shared experience. You cannot truly become fluent in a language without learning the culture that envelops it. So let's go back to where this came from. I'm, I'm giving us some context here to Acts 2 today. Genesis 11. Um, this is what we call the Tower of Babel. You know, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let it, let's go down there and confuse their languages so they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Now at first glance, you might see the introduction of different languages, the Lord confusing the languages as a result of the, fallen, the fall of man. See, here humanity is trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to build us. They're building themselves, literally, a tower, trying to create for themselves a dominant world empire apart from God. They think they are building heaven on earth, but the reality is they have left heaven out of it. This is about themselves. This isn't about heaven. They missed heaven's man mandate. Heaven's mandate was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, scatter abroad the earth, subdue it, govern it. They don't want to be scattered, it says. They don't want to be a scattered people trusting in heaven. They want to build a, 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 they want a, a, an empire, a dominant empire. So they reject the kingdom of God. We've seen this repeated through history, haven't we? Societies, cultures trying to build a dominant empire for themselves. But here's where God comes in. Where he takes what was meant for evil and uses it as part of his redemptive plan. See, he confuses their languages and he scatters them. And it's not to say that language and diversity is bad. Actually, it was grace. Grace. Language and diversity was a gift of grace. A means to bring about God's redemptive plan. Harkening back to the original mandate in Genesis 1 to fill the earth and subdue it and govern it. So let me say this again, loud and clear, friends. Language, culture, race was a gift from God. A gift from God. A gift from a God of unified diversity, Father, Son, and Spirit, as a means to accomplish his redemptive mission and bless the earth. Bless the earth. See, we have to see this within humanity, especially those of us with power and privilege is this propensity toward uniformity, to fill the earth with those like us, to build up our empire, to export our identity all over the world, to dominate the world with us, rather than to see it be filled with the glory of heaven, the reflection of a diverse God, scattered abroad the earth. So as we journey in the book of Acts, looking at a trouble the early church faced every week and how the Holy Spirit helped them overcome that trouble, our trouble today is our preference towards uniformity, which is only those like us, and the corresponding division that results those who are not like us. See, this is the problem that the monoculture group faced on the day of Pentecost. 
So here we read it, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astonished and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, those who lived in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Rome, Cretans, Arabs. I mean, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astonished and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Here you have a group that a group of Jewish pilgrims that came from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish feast called Pentecost. They share a common experience. They're Jewish. They they likely would have all known either Aramaic or Greek. So these were the languages that were spoken uh, either in the the business world or in the temple primarily used Aramaic. So even though they, they had native tongues from all over the world, they would have known Aramaic. And that's what they would have expected to be, to be spoken in the synagogue. Yet here you have the first official gathering of the church and the inauguration of the Holy Spirit coming with tongues. Now these tongues aren't about some personal spiritual experience. That's not really the primary um, theme here. This was a miracle where God uses the native tongues of those in attendance, languages never used before in worship, to affirm and bless these languages and corresponding cultures as the very vehicle for his redemptive plan in the earth. See, the Spirit of God shows up in language. We've said language and culture are inseparable. They are intimately connected. Like, what a shock it would have been. You're used to hearing worship in Aramaic and Greek, and all of a sudden you're hearing it in your native language. It's, it's like a sudden, um, intimate, childlike moment, right? Where you're taken back to your, your culture of origin. Wait, how do they know my language? How are they speaking this? How do they know that about me? How do they know that we're all here and these are the tongues of, of those present? Cuts, it cuts right to the root of their identity. The redemptive message of Jesus affirms this identity. I need us to hear that, friends. The spirit on the day of Pentecost is affirming what God did at the Tower of Babel. The cultural identity you have at your roots, this is part of God's redemptive story and a means of blessing the earth. Willie James Jennings wrote, speak a language, speak a people. God speaks people fluently. Speak a language, speak a people. God speaks people fluently. The Spirit coming in this way is a sign that the gospel, the redemptive message, is a message for all. The kingdom is available to them, too. Whoever the them is. I can't imagine this is what the first disciples uh, thought of when, when, they, when, when Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come in power. Yet this was the means at which God chose to answer. 
Friends, the church is not meant to be a place of uniformity or division. It's not meant to be a place of uniformity where everyone looks like me. Where we're colorblind and we pretend as if there's no differences, no friends. And it's also not to be a place of division where we exclude them, whoever the them is that doesn't speak us. You see, God speaks people, and so must we. We must become students of the other. Students of the other. Man, learning the language is hard. I tried to learn learn German in uh, high school, uh, and then I went to Germany and realized everybody in Germany spoke English, and I said, well, what's the point of learning German? You see, right then and there, I was pretty fortunate and privileged, I didn't have to submit to the hard work of learning another language and culture to understand a people. But really, if I wanted to fully understand, I need to submit to them. Especially as an adult, it's hard. I can't imagine what it'd be like. You know, as an adult, you're trying to learn a new language, and in some ways, it renders you just, as, just like a child. You feel helpless. And so most of us don't like that feeling. We don't like to feel helpless and out of control and, and in submission to, to others. So we avoid that. We never try. And this is the problem with learning people too. It's much easier to, set, to, to stay with us. It's much easier to hang out and fill my life up with my people, whoever my people is. To, to, see, to learn language, I need to learn culture. Yeah, you can learn a few mechanics in a classroom, you know, a few words and different this and that. But at some point, if you want to be fluent, you have to go and experience the culture. See, what's the Spirit doing here? Moving us toward the other. Inviting us toward the other. To submit ourselves to them. To listen. To learn. To do the hard, uncomfortable work of speaking people. Do you hear that call? Not everyone did. Verse 12 says, some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Do you hear the call? Become a student of people. So Spirit is inviting us to become students of people. Secondly, um, it says Peter stood up and he says, no, they're not drunk since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel and he begins to teach out of out of um, you know, the Old Testament. And, and he, he quotes this. He says, it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below. And he goes through and he shares the redemption story of Jesus about David, he tells him the story, connects it. So Peter says, don't miss what God is doing. They're all Jewish people. He's unpacking the story. He's helping them see in their scriptures who Jesus is and what he's done. But here's what jumps out to me, friends. He, he, he specifically quotes Joel and he says, all people, servants, young men, women. He's talking to a patriarchal, monoculture group of people. He's saying, 
all will prophesy. <clears throat> In essence, this is, this is a new social order that the Spirit is constructing. A place where all people have a voice, where all people have power, where God speaks through all people. That's really what prophecy is. It's, it's having a voice and, you, and, uh, and, and allowing your voice to be the voice of God. And you see, it's profound. It's astonishing. See, they're accustomed to God working only through men or through priests, through kings, through authority. But here, here's, here's Peter says, no, God is, the Spirit is here now. He is, God is starting a new social order. He's not just going to speak through the men and the kings. And the, no, God is going to speak through all. One person wrote, and I admit I've not done the research on this, but, but one person wrote that Pentecost is the first time the concept of all being equal was ever seen in an ancient record. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't have the source on that. But I do know overwhelmingly that culture at that point favored men of higher social classes. And so do you see the radically new social order that the church is to be part of, that the spirit is initiating at Pentecost? How are we making space for others? History has shown that many will do the work of learning a language only then to dominate the culture of those whose language they've learned. It's not enough to learn a language. It's a start. We learn people. But we need to allow them to have a voice. Not that it's up to us to allow them, but we need to, to give them power to submit to them, to honor their voice, to see them as empowered, capable people with the, the Spirit of God capable of being his voice. And finally, they hear this and they ask the question, what then should we do? What then should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to walk this out. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, all who are far off, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. All right, here's the deal, friends. Repent, turn. Be saved from this corrupt generation. Be saved from this trouble of uniformity and division, and, and you need to repent. Here's the deal. No one has escaped the curse of sin. However, Peter on Pentecost was primarily speaking to us, to the group in power. Remember, his disciples, Jesus' disciples asking him before he was ascended, hey, are you gonna restore this you know, are you going to restore power to Israel? Are you going to make us the dominant nation now? This is what they have in mind. He's speaking to them. So no matter who you are, consider how you are thinking, how you see others, regardless of who the other is. But my message today is really for myself and those who fit my demographic those who have been in the position of power, men, particularly white men, really anyone who is pierced by this truth today to lean into the other. Repent.
What does repentance look like? Well, it looks kind of like what we talked about at the beginning. You can't, from what you, you can't repent from what you haven't felt. You can't repent from what you haven't felt. You can't repent for what you haven't named. You can't repent for what you haven't processed. And some will just throw out repentance and, and I'm sorry, you know, just to get it over with. Well, we need to feel it, to name it, to process it. Will you be a student of the other? Will you learn people, their culture, their pain, their experiences? Will you give their voice power by shutting up and listening? Will you let them prophesy? Will you hear God's voice through them? Will you turn and repent, doing the hard work of feeling, naming, and processing? Not everyone did. Verse 41 says, those who accepted this message were baptized. That means those, there were those who didn't accept this. And this theme will run throughout the book of Acts. It wasn't easy for them, for this monoculture Jewish men to do this. There were bumps in the road. The community that they formed was a powerful force, though, of God's love and his redemptive mission in the world. And we, too, can join that story. Will you join me?